Wow, today is the first step in our journey through this story. Um, I just want to encourage you to make this book your friend. Bring it with you every Sunday. How, how many of you brought your story with you this week? Okay. If you don't have one uh, and you would like one, raise your hand right now and Jared will come and bring a couple uh, down here. If you raise your hand high and we'll bring you some stories. And uh, they cost $25 each, so... Uh, <laughs> No, if you want to take it, just take it. If you want to pay five bucks, that's fine too, either way. And stop over at the table. We have children's versions of it. And uh, again, I really want to encourage you to read it. Um, Let me ask, how many of you are satisfied with your knowledge of the Bible? Probably not any of us. I know I'm not. And uh, this is our chance to get a little more familiar with Scripture. Now, there's three levels I want you to keep in mind. We want you to keep in mind as we read. First, there's the upper story of what God is doing. He's orchestrating events, working in history to bring about his purposes. And if we don't get the upper story, if we don't have the upper story, life is really pretty bleak and hopeless and meaningless. And then there's the lower story. That's what's going on in the world and in the lives of people, Adam and Eve and Noah, Abraham and Joseph. In the lower story, that's where the trouble is. People get into all kinds of problems. And so all through this, we're going to have a lower story that cannot be solved without the upper story of what God is doing. And then there's our story and what God is doing in and through us and how this story, this story impacts my story. This is the application. This journey we're on is not just about Bible knowledge. It's about changing our perspective. It's about changing our story and getting a different understanding and a different approach to life. How does the truth of this story shape my relationships, my behavior, my my mission in life. So let's get started. Turn to chapter 1, page 1, if you would. Sometimes the first chapter of the story is just setting the table, and you don't really get into it until you get into a few chapters. In other stories, the first chapter is a must-read if you're going to get the gist of what's going on, and that is the case here. Chapter 1 is huge. We could spend a month on this, or several months. In fact, we did spend a month on it last year. I want you to read the first sentence with me. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Ten words into the story or into some pretty big stuff. Now, every story has certain elements. You might remember this from school. The main elements of a story would be the characters, the setting, the plot, the conflict, and the theme. And that's how I'm going to approach this first chapter today. The main character is in the first four words, in the beginning, God. So the main character is God. The curtain rises, the spotlight comes on him, it all flows out of him. I'm going to read on a little bit more. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. Main character is God. Setting is all of creation. God makes the heaven and the earth and everything in them. God said, Let there be light. Light travels how fast? Anyone know? Remember from school? 186,000 miles per second. Okay. Snap your fingers, 186,000 miles. Second, second. How far does light go in five seconds? Does that blow your mind a little bit? And one light year is the distance traveled by light in a year. How far can light go in a year? Can you even fathom that? Now, here's the deal. If you could travel that fast, it would take you 100,000 years to cross the Milky Way galaxy. 
100,000 years going 186,000 miles per second. I mean, how big is this Milky Way galaxy? Can you even grasp it? And we're just an average galaxy, that's what they tell me. And it has about 400 billion stars, like our sun. Some are a little bigger, some are a little smaller. And that's just one galaxy. And there's an estimated to be about 100 billion such galaxies in the universe. Can you wrap your mind around this? Anyone? I'm going to say, I think safely, that God is unfathomable. And so is the setting. No mind, no one of us, I I don't even think a computer can comprehend who this God is. In the start of Star Wars, it says, in a galaxy far, far away. Well, all the galaxies are far, far away, you know? The closest one is Andromeda. That's 2.6 million light years away. That's far, far away in my book, you know? This is mind-blowing stuff. Billions of galaxies in the universe, each of them containing billions of stars. That means there's more than 10 billion trillion stars in the universe. Some number kind of like this. That, That, okay, whatever that is, okay? And one of my questions is, Why? Why did God create all this? God just having fun? Just tinkering around a little bit? He surely didn't need to create that big of a universe. Does God have other beings on other planets? Is there life in outer space? Why did you do this, God? Uh, might be a good question to discuss in your small group. You know, maybe he did it just to show off. I don't know. To show who he is. He's in, unfathomable. Saturn is less dense than water, which means if you drop Saturn into a pool of water, it would float. Why? Why did you do that, God? Now, I was in the men's class this morning. If you're in the men's class and your teacher is a science teacher, it blows you even farther away, you know. But anyway, so these comets, these comets that are floating or uh, flying out there, uh, they can be from 10,000 miles to 1 million miles long, and that's just the head of the comet. 1 million miles long. And the tails can be 100 million miles long, and they travel at 350 miles per second. That's just a little comet. God just having a little fun. I think the setting helps us get somewhat of a glimpse of this God, the main character we cannot even fathom. We're just saying God is holy. Holy simply means he is different, while we have no idea how different he is. Here's another thing about the main character. Day by day, he pronounces the creation good. The light is good. The water and dry land is good. The vegetation is good. And later when man is alone, he says it's not good. So God makes judgments right from the beginning. Now, today, judging is considered taboo. Quit judging me. But right here at the beginning, we have a God who judges that some things are good, some things are not good. And even though many people don't like judging, everyone does it. It's just built into us. We're made in God's image, and we all judge just like he does. And it's not all bad. The universe is not neutral. There are some rights, and there are some wrongs in the world. There is a morality behind the universe. I used to read Ann Landers all the time. Now, for you younger people, this is when Ann Landers was alive and, uh, and younger, and she still actually believed in a right or wrong. But this goes way back several years. A guy writes in and says, Dear Ann, I have a problem. I am happily married to a wonderful wife. I have two children, but I'm also seeing a young lady the past seven months. The problem is I love both of them. What should I do? Signed, confused. <clears throat> give me a break. Then he says, P.S., don't give me any of that morality stuff. Anne writes back, Dear Confused, the only difference between humans and animals is morality. I suggest you contact your local veterinarian. (laughs) Well, she's being judgmental. 
Folks, we're all judgmental, okay? There is a right, there's a wrong. We all believe there's some right and wrong, and it's built into the universe. A lot of people don't like this part of the story. Don't give me that morality stuff. We think God wants to take away our fun. He wants to limit us. No, God wants you to have a full life, life as you were designed in harmony with him, with the universe, and with other people. There are some good ways to live, and there's some bad ways to live. God judges his own work. He says, it's pretty good. And then he makes something else that he pronounces Very good. The most amazing part of his creation is the second main character, us. God makes a setting and it's pretty astounding. Then he makes people and people are even more astounding. Page two, bottom paragraph. Genesis 126, if you have your Bibles. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's get down to the middle of page three. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. When God makes the universe, it's good. When he makes us, it's very good. Now, this first series out of Genesis, I'm calling Modern Family, and this first chapter is about, I'm going to say, the perfect couple, Adam and Eve. They live in perfect harmony with God, with each other, with creation. No fighting, no silent treatment, no withholding sex, no communication snafus, perfect relationship with each other and God. What did Adam and Eve look like? I'm guessing they were pretty good looking. You ladies, you think Adam looked more like Brad Pitt or Danny DeVito? We don't know what he looked like, but I'm thinking he was probably a pretty fine specimen, pretty, pretty hunky guy. I'm guessing he was live, at, at the peak age, I'm thinking about 59 years old. Okay. We need new tech people here. Anyway, uh, if you were asked the boys, hey, boys, what did Eve look like? Carrie Underwood? Aaron Andrews? Jennifer Lopez? One kid said, Jennifer Lopez, she's so old. Old? She's 44 years old. Good grief. You know, I watch TV and Betty White looks cute to me. <laughs> so God creates this perfect setting, this perfect couple. Everything's fine. What's that say about us? How's my story impacted by that story? Well, one thing is we are made in the image of God and we're pronounced very good. Would you dare look in the mirror and say, I'm pretty good? I look in the mirror and I don't usually say that, you know. I'm the pinnacle of God's creative work, and that's our story. We are special. Last week we talked about pride, and that may sound prideful, but it is true that you and I are good, special, different from the animals and the rest of creation. Physically, you're amazing. Your brain has 100,000 billion electrical connections. In other words, your brain has more electrical connections than all the electrical appliances on the face of the earth. And yet it fits in a quart jar and operates on, for 90 years or so, on 10 watts of power fueled by cheeseburgers and french fries. You're amazing. Here's another fact about you. You're mostly space. If the average person had all the space squeezed out of him, he would be lost on the head of a pin and occupy one one hundred millionth of a cubic inch. So when somebody tells you you're nothing, they're actually right. Or they call you a space cadet. That's true. You are mostly space. And yet to God, you're everything. The creation is not the core of his passion. We are. And we are very good. When you look at yourself in the mirror, say, I'm pretty good. 
That's God's opinion of you. The man and woman are set in the Garden of Eden in perfect harmony with one another, God and creation. Do you remember, by the way, the Andy Griffith show? How many of you remember? Are you old enough? Okay, Andy Griffith. You remember? <laughs> You're not too good. Okay. I love that show. I love Andy Griffith. I love Barney Fife and Aunt B and Opie and Floyd and Helen and Barney's girlfriend on the phone, Juanita, remember? And if I were to give a one-word description of the Andy Griffith show, I think the one word I would choose would be innocence. Just an innocent, pure show. The major issues were Opie's boyishness, Barney's foolishness, or Helen's jealousy. There was no major crime, even though Andy was the sheriff. There was no steamy sex scenes, no gore violence, no environmental disasters. It was so clean, so innocent. Even the black and white makes you think of the days when there was a black and white with morality. You know, when people yearn for the good old days, they probably think of an Andy Griffith type of world. That's the Garden of Eden, innocence. No crime, no shame. Perfect harmony with God and each other and with creation. When God and humans are in perfect harmony, everything's good. All our needs are taken care of. There's no financial problems. We're healthy. No one is sick. And God's grand vision, his point of the story, is to be with us in that kind of environment, to be with us fully, God and humanity, in perfect harmony in a perfect world. So the theme of the story is God with us. And when God is with us, everything is good. And this theme is all through this story, but it is only a full reality for four chapters of the Bible. Full, uh, humanity, uh, full harmony with God is in the first two chapters and then the last two. And it's the only time where God with us is a complete reality. We have it in the beginning, and then we have it at the end. And the rest of the story, all this stuff in between, is how we get from the beginning to the end. Like any story, of course. How we go from God with us to God with us again fully. But in between, something happens. See, God wants us to experience this, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. This ideal, this utopia. In fact, we have all built within us this urge to get back to Eden, to get back to that perfection. Communism was a desire to create a utopia, a better world. Capitalism is a desire to create a better world. Socialism, a better world. We all want that. All of us want to have a better life. We want our kids to have a better life. But none of those systems and none of our efforts will really work. In the beginning, we have this perfection and innocence, but then something goes terribly wrong. I could, we could call this the big thud. The innocence is shattered. God gives Adam and Eve a choice, like we're all given a choice. He doesn't force any of us to live with him. And uh, he gives them two trees, the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Tree of life sustains life forever. Tree of knowledge of good and evil is forbidden. If you eat of it, the harmony and perfection will die. The conflict of this story is sin or disobedience. And the story changes. The perfect couple now hides from God. They now blame each other. There's now shame. And, and that's all our story too. The sin virus infects us all. We're all diseased. We had Mayberry and innocence, but now today we have modern family a TV show that reflects our modern culture, our so-called modern culture. It's a different morality, different values than, than Mayberry. But if you read the Bible, you'll find that modern family is really not that modern. There's nothing new in that show. We think we're progressive, enlightened today. We've thrown off the shackles of stifling morality, which is just another way of saying we're going to do it our way instead of God's way. Adam and Eve did the same thing. 
There's nothing modern about modern family. This really goes back to, to the Bible times. We're not on the right side of history, like people will tell you. We're on the same side of history we've always been. We're all east of Eden. Innocence is gone. And we've gone from a perfect couple to a perfect mess. Now, the rest of Genesis is basically about families. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, Joseph, and every one of these families is dysfunctional. They're all messed up. And if your family's messed up, here's the reason. We've broken fellowship with God. I'm going to show you a clip from Modern Family. So he's out in our yard and he's got a boombox. What's the name of that movie with the boombox? Oh, Say Anything. Which I'm a honey. So anyway, he's out there, and he's begging Claire for forgiveness. She's still mad at him. She won't have any of it. So he turns it up full blast, and it's Olivia Newton-John. And he starts singing, let's get philsical. It was an inside joke. Oh, not anymore. (laughs) Okay, enough with the funny Phil story. No, but I haven't even gotten to the best part yet. So he's doing his little dance, and I can't take any more. So I nail him with the sprinklers. Yeah, and you also shorted out my boom box, which you said you'd replace, and you never did. I never said that. Yes, you did. You still owe me one boom box, 12D batteries, and Olivia Newton-John Casinkle. Huh. Okay, uh... Why don't we sell it in the ring? We get in there, and if you beat me, I'll buy you any boombox you want. If I beat you, then you got to do your little dance for everyone. Yeah! <laughs> I'm in. Let's get Phil Circle. <laughs> I wasn't worried I'd boxed in the Navy. And it was Phil. And here's something I thought I'd never say. I'd rather box my daughter's husband than my son's. Barney and Andy just wouldn't have done that. I just don't see it. You know, I watch NBC, and then I watch Fox, and then I listen to talk radio, and there's no utopia. It's just all dystopia. We want utopia, but we can't get it. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, which sounds mean. God says, if you can't play according to my rules, you cannot be in my garden, which proves God is mean, right? No, this is actually an act of grace. God is keeping them from access to the tree of life, which would sustain their lives forever. Do you want to live forever in a world that is cursed? I mean, do you want to live in a place where there's constant poverty, constant war and conflict, backbiting, uh, kids not getting along with parents, domestic violence, forced prostitution, crime and drugs and Syria and and all-star wrestling? I mean, do you want to live in a world like that? That was a joke. I mean, God guards the garden to keep us from that. It's an act of grace because you don't want to live forever in this kind of world. We're kind of sheltered. We live in the heaven part of the earth. We, we don't see the ugly side of the world, not, not much anyway, and it is ugly. Death is not the worst thing that can happen. Eternal separation from God is, and that's the ultimate death. And that's what would have had if we were still in the garden with access to the tree of life. We would have had eternal life, but eternal separation from God. And God's vision is to do life with us without sin and without death and without the curse. So he banishes from the tree of life for a while. The tree of life will show up again, but for now we're banished. 
In the meantime, this sin spreads like wildfire from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel. Brother kills brother. It expands so then Genesis 6-5 on the top of page 8 in the story. The Lord God saw how great the wickedness had become on the earth. Every inclination of everyone was only evil all the time. Notice the superlatives there. Everyone all the time. It's an absolute mess. And then it says the Lord regretted that he made humans and his heart was deeply troubled. When I regret something, I usually don't want to get rid of it. Wipe it out. God won't wipe us. He won't give up. So his first plan is let's start over. He's going to clean everything up. Let's start over with a new person who really loves me. And that's the story of Noah and his family. Noah's a righteous man. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The problem is Noah and family go into the ark and what goes with them? Sin. Plan doesn't work. Eventually, sin corrupts the earth once again. There's nothing changed. We're still infected. So chapter 1 shows our greatness, and it also shows our awfulness. We are special, made in the image of God, and we are fallen. We had Mayberry, and now we have Modern Family. Utopia, and now dystopia. We had two grandchildren with us for a month, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. We love our grandchildren, but a month is a really long time. And I notice in these kids, you see a lot of human nature in its rawest form. Kids can be so sweet and kind and softest heart, willing helpers, enthusiastic. They're giving. They volunteer easily. I wish we had more adults like them, so many good qualities. And then other times, kids are just mean, greedy, selfish, whiny, complaining, impatient, bratty frustrating. You know, you could add to it, I know. And they're attracted to books like Captain Underpants. <laughs> I'd never heard of that, you know, but these kids look Captain Underpants and they tackle the talking toilets. Have you heard of that? Really? I mean, these kids are messed up too, you know. They're a mixture of this good and bad and this innocence and this evil. And one reason I believe Christianity is true is the Christian story best explains us, human nature, we're made in the image of God. It's amazing what humans can do. Our creative capacity. You know, you know, I see these farmers out on these combines. Who thought that thing up? You know, and it's driven by satellites now. I mean, it blows my mind. You go to the city and see these skyscrapers, and you think of our space program and the technology, and we can, we can remove cataracts from eyes so people can see, and, and then you'll see heroic acts of kindness and, and sacrifice. There's some very godlike qualities in, in people. And then you see how awful we are. And how much ugly there is and meanness and catty and selfish and, and even our best actions have tainted motives and none of us is fully what God intended for us. None of us has pure motives. We're all scarred beyond repair. And, and the Christian story best explains us. Special and broken. It best explains this world. It best explains Syria. Politics. So the plot is God's process of restoration. When Adam and Eve sin, they cover themselves with fig leaves. Leaves don't do a very good job covering. You know, that's humans trying to deal with their sin on their own, but it's not adequate. So God steps in and covers them with animal skins. There's a little bit of a hint there, the process of restoration. An animal dies so their sin can be covered. Blood was shed at the hands of God to cover the shame and nakedness of Adam and Eve, and it points to a bloodshed yet to come. There's a thread, a red thread through the whole Bible, a thread of blood, and it's already here in chapter 1. God is going to do everything he can to restore Eden, to get us back. God wants to restore that perfect fellowship that we once had. So God creates the universe, it's good. 
He makes people, they're very good. And then it all comes crashing down with a big thud. We're separated from the tree of life and separated from God and all hell breaks loose. But God says, I'm not done. I'm going to put an action into plan and that plan will culminate someday in the cross. Jesus Christ.